I am so happy to welcome you to Christ's Journey gathering once again. We gather physically, we gather digitally. We welcome the Spirit of God into your home, into your space, wherever you are, Gables Campus, Kendall Campus, Church Online Campus, wherever you are, Jesus promised that where two or three of us gather in his name, he will make himself known, and we know that God inhabits the praises of his people, and so we are welcoming the presence of God as we gather today. Would you repeat after me? Take a breath, repeat after me. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Lord, we welcome your spirit to meet with us in gladness. And also on this day, we're not unaware of the events of this past week and God's command that we should pray for all of our leaders, those in authority, so we invite his blessing upon our leaders and this transition that we find ourselves in. And so as we make those prayers, would you also join me as we offer our prayer with the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There's a Spanish story that's told of um, a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father went out after him. And uh, after exhausting, he searched for months. And after exhausting every avenue, he finally, in a last desperate attempt, put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon this Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up. All sons seeking to know their father's love and forgiveness. Did you know that helping people come home to God, come home to the Father, is an act of worship. In Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about God's call on his life and how after God reached him in Christ, that he commissioned him, that he gave him the duty of being a minister to Gentiles, non-Jews. Here's what he says, chapter 15, verse 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that the Gentiles, that's you and me, if you're not a Jew, that's you, might become what? An offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some theological words in there that we'll talk about in just a moment, but the word sanctified simply means set apart. It's like made special. And uh, as Paul helped non-Jews come to faith in Christ through the good news, then what he says is that they were set apart for God as his Holy Spirit came alive in them. 
So he uses the language of temple sacrifice, as we've seen in the other texts in the series. And Paul says that he functions as a priest. Now, he had been a Pharisee, but now he says, I'm functioning as a priest. And the result was what? Gentiles are set apart by the Holy Spirit as an acceptable offering to God. Every Paco, here's the bottom line, every Paco we help come home to the Father is a spirit offering of worship that we bring to God. And this is the fourth offering that we have seen in our series, Forged by Fire, about spiritual worship. What do you give the God who has everything? Have you ever wondered? Well, the answers are in some of the spiritual sacrifices that we make as worshipers of God in spirit and in truth. First, we saw that we can give our own bodies. What can you give that nobody else can give? Your body, yourself. And then what we learned was in response to God's mercy, we love him because he first loved us, but in response to his mercy, when we give all that we know about ourselves to all that we know about God, that's an offering that God finds acceptable, and then he brings us into the discovery of his will so that we can do it on earth. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2, the first message of our series. So if you want to know the will of God for your life, then offer your body in worship to God in your life. That's Paul's bottom line there. Um, Walter Payton is one of the all-time NFL rushers. In history, 16,600 or 726 yards, 125 touchdowns. And uh, when I led the retreat for pastors and their wives in Cuba some years ago now, uh, we took a highlight video clip of Walter Payton at his best. And uh, I mean, he was running with the ball, he was escaping tackles, he was taking hits, he was twisting through, he was jumping over and dodging his opponents. And uh, the, the point was that we were illustrating through Walter Payton's skills how God equips his servants to keep on going no matter what, no matter what the opposition, no matter what you, where you find yourself. And I'm telling you, I used it to illustrate how God equips his servants to keep on going. And I gotta tell you, at every session, those pastors wanted to see the highlight video again and again and again and again. It was such an encouragement to them. By the way, uh, if any one of our pastors in Cuba are watching, please know of our prayers for you, of your, for your wives, for your marriages, for your ministries, and uh, for your encouragement. Remember Walter Payton today as he kept going. They wanted it in every session. But you want to know something amazing? Something that I noticed in watching that time and again? That the only time Walter Payton scores points is when he has the ball. You ever notice that? It's like he's amazing. He's got so many gifts and skills that he can apply on the field. But in order to score points, then he has to have possession of the ball. He's got to be carrying the ball. He's got to be running his play with the ball. And it's the same thing with God. I think that's what Paul is trying to help us see, that your life, a living sacrifice, is like a football in the hands of a skilled achiever, a skilled athlete, when you give it to God. God can score points in your life when you give him the ball. And that's what spiritual worship is. We present him the ball. 
of our lives. So if you're wondering, Lord, why haven't you scored with my life? Why aren't I winning victories in my life? Well, maybe back up to what Paul says here and just ask yourself first, am I giving him the ball? Because that's what living sacrifice means. Offering God my body means that I am placing myself in availability to his will. And a good habit to get into every single morning. And Pastor Ryan, you shared a verse with us that he's using right now this year to do this. Psalm 143, verse 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. There's God calling the play because he loves you and wants to score with you. And then he says, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for I entrust to you my life. What a great verse of offering God our lives, giving him the ball. That's called daily worship. And so we learned, then that was where it started. We offer our bodies, and then after offering our lives, we offer our lips. What we discovered was that what comes out of the speaker is usually revealing where the heart is tuned. Just like on your radio. Wherever your frequency is set, that's what comes out of our mouths. And so the New Testament tells us that we can make sacrifices of praise. Hebrews 13, 15, let us continually, 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 that means nonstop, offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So our verbal praise, either spoken or sung, aligning our thoughts and our attitudes with the will of God, with God our Savior and Lord, is the way forward. In fact, uh, what I've discovered is one good way to, uh, do your thoughts ever wander on you? You ever find your mind getting foggy or cloudy and your thoughts chasing, maybe going where they shouldn't go? Man, oh my. Well, one good way to take our wayward thoughts captive is to focus them in praise. There is never a wrong time to offer praise to God. In fact, praise releases amazing internal spiritual enthusiasm. You wanna know what's it gonna do for you? While you're looking to refresh your fire in Christ, then focus your thinking and your, your heart's affection and your mind's attention through the devotion of praise. New fire for living. And so we see that. Paul and Silas, when they were in a prison cell, they voiced their praise in the middle of the night, the chains fall off and the doors fly open. That's an illustration of the sacrifice of praise at work, Acts chapter 16. And then we learn this, the third offering that we can bring, are acts of goodness, sacrifices pleasing to God, Hebrews 13, 16. Don't, don't forget, don't forget to do good and to share with others because with such sacrifices, God is pleased. If you ever wanted to know how can you bring pleasure to God, that's what these gifts, these offerings are doing. And it's an act of worship when we do it with our words, when we do it with our works, when we treat others with courtesy and respect, we talked about this, when we pursue excellence, we seek to, to provide a quality product at a good value, that brings praise to God. And when we are helpful in meeting human need, that's a sacrifice that pleases God. But today we add number four to that list. There are five. Next week we'll conclude our series. But there are four so far. Today we learn this, that when we help people who are far from God, 
come home to their heavenly Father, then God receives that as an acceptable offering. In fact, it's one of the few places in the New Testament where Jesus ever said that God the Father gets happy when this kind of worship is offered. Luke chapter 15. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels, Jesus said, when one sinner comes home to God. Luke chapter 15. So when one Paco comes back to the Father, God himself rejoices in the presence of angels every time someone trusts him in the forgiveness of sin, receiving the gift of salvation. God celebrates. It's a gift acceptable to him. We love seeing people get baptized around here. We celebrate every one of them. We count every one of them. Why do we count people? I'll tell you. First reason is because people count. The second reason is because they did it in the New Testament. The New Testament is our guide on how we do worship. In the first church, in Acts chapter 2, it said on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were baptized and they placed their trust in Christ and then were immersed in a pool. Now, scholars have wondered how could that have been since they <laughs> didn't have any pool of water and Jerusalem's pretty far from the ocean or from the sea. And how could that be? Well, in 2004, uh, the Pool of Siloam was discovered, the archaeological site. The group that went last February and March uh, to Jerusalem actually saw this archaeological spot right there, walking distance from the temple, a place where, as an act of worship, hundreds and thousands and 3,000 people could have been baptized as they offered their body, professing their faith by giving verbal affirmation to Jesus as their Savior, and now starting a new good life in Christ, spiritual acts of worship, and all in obedience. Now, today I'm talking to our church, because how can we help provide more offerings like that to God. Jesus, in fact, called his first disciples with a call to make fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. His first call was about providing offerings to God because of his love unleashed in eternal life through the people that listen. Some of the last words that Jesus ever spoke, that he ever gave his church in Matthew's gospel, once again, you've heard of famous last words, right? You know among Jesus' most famous last words are these, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. So those are calls to worship, but through witness, that as we are on mission with God, then sharing the message of his love sparks worship in those who respond. Every Paco we help come home to God the Father is a spirit offering of worship that we bring to God. That's today's lesson. And then Jesus taught midstream. He taught his followers. He said, you know, the fields are white unto harvest. Right now, people are ready to respond. But you gotta pray to the Lord of the harvest so that he can send out workers to the harvest field. Jesus said in John 4 that God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship isn't us just prostrating, prostrating ourselves before God, but rising to share his love in his world that he so loves. 
and in the acts of outreach, we present to him fruit of lives changed. Romans chapter 15, verse 16 again. Here's Paul using the image of harvest. We're familiar with the image of harvest. We usually apply it to outreach, but Paul here is applying it to worship. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the good news of Jesus so that the, God, the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's something very cool here. Only God can save. We don't save anybody. God saves by His Spirit when we turn to Him in faith in Jesus, by grace, through faith. But when He does, when He saves people, those of us that are involved in sharing the good news are now invited to join in a special quality of worship, giving an offering to God through the results. Now that's what Paul says. He says, you're a priest, and the harvest of your duty offers a offering of praise to God. Now, what does Peter say? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what? Shall we say these next three words together? A holy priesthood offering what? Two words, spiritual sacrifices that you and I, I've now been brought into this amazing work of sharing God's love and God's life so that others might join us in this amazing act of worship in Christ. So this is the language of temple worship once again. Remember, the followers of Jesus were not making animal sacrifices at the Jerusalem temple. When Christ rose from the dead, they stopped participating in animal sacrifices in the Jerusalem temple. But Paul and Peter are now using language of the temple priesthood, language of temple worship, to call Christ followers to offer spiritual sacrifices. Do you see that? As now a holy priesthood, and one of the offerings we bring to God are the people that we help find and follow Christ. Every Paco that we help come home to God the Father is a spirit offering of worship that we bring to God. So this raises the question, if you have not yet brought that kind of offering to God, if you have not yet helped somebody else find their way back home to God, God wants you to know that joy. God wants you to learn how to share the joy of your salvation and then what you'll discover is that your joy will go deeper and rise higher and get stronger as you help somebody else experience it for themselves. You are a spiritual priest. So now we're growing into a new level. Maybe you thought of yourself in some other term. Well, here's what the apostles say. You're a spiritual priest. Now, a priest stands before God on behalf of others, and a priest stands before others on behalf of God. And what the New Testament says is that every person who has ever come to Christ and been set apart by the Holy Spirit is now equipped to know this kind of joy. That may be a stretch for some of us, but that may be the exact stretch that he's wanting to meet you in to increase your joy. The Latin word priest is pontifex. It simply means bridge builder. God wants us to be the bridge that is built to bridge the gap between him and people. Paul says it in another place, calling Christ followers ambassadors. What an ambassador does is represent his king in the court 
of another. And Paul says that's what we do. As believers in this world in such need, we're bridge builders and we represent our king in the court of another. Peter says that he was called to be a bridge between God and people and that so are all of us. But one of the experiences that we get to see Peter doing this actually is a little bit uncomfortable for Peter at the time too, was in Acts chapter 10 where God gives him a vision He's hungry, he's up on the roof, it's about noon, it's time for lunch, and a sheet comes down from heaven. You know, I don't know if it was a screen like what we use, but a sheet came down from heaven and, and a voice said, now eat everything on it. You remember the story? If you don't know the story, please check it out. But the bottom line of the story is God said, there's this guy I want you to go see. And I want you essentially to be a priest for somebody so that they can come to know me in the joy of salvation. And guess who the guy was? He was a Roman a Roman centurion, uh, which means that Cornelius as a Roman, Cornelius was his name, as a Roman was his enemy, enemies of the Jew. The Romans were the ones who had come in by military force and taken over their country. But God says, no, I want you to go talk to this Roman. And um, and not only is he a Roman, he's a Roman centurion. What does that mean? He's armed and dangerous. It means he's got, he's got weapons at his disposal and he's got 100 armed and dangerous men. A centurion means that he's a part of a force of 100. And God says, I want you to go to this man whom you would call an enemy, who you would find armed and dangerous, and who has access to many other forces that could be threatening to you. And then he says, and then I want you to go, and he's a Gentile. Obviously, Peter knew this. But having contact with Gentiles as a Jew at that time meant risking becoming ceremonially unclean, according to their religious tradition, risking being defiled. And yet God sent Peter to bridge the gap, to move beyond social, religious, racial, and cultural barriers so that the good news of Christ's life and God's love could get to Cornelius, who, by the way, was sincerely seeking to know God. He was like Paco. He was searching. He wanted to figure out, but he didn't know how to get home. And he didn't know if when he got home he was going to be judged or he was going to be welcomed or he was going to be graced. He didn't know. And so Peter goes, tells him about Jesus. Actually, you know, Cornelius needs Peter so that he can know God's life in Christ. And Peter needs Cornelius so that he can grow in God's love in Christ. This is why you'll hear us say sometimes around here that every believer needs to have a seeker in their life that they're praying for, that they're helping, that they're assisting, that they're looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with. Why? Because the seeker needs the life of Christ coming alive in them, but the believer needs the love of Christ coming alive in us to make us love, live larger than where we've been. This is the mission that is connected to the worship offering. And so Peter goes to, Peter's, uh, to Cornelius' house, and in chapter 10, verse 43, he says, all the prophets testify about him, talking about Jesus now to the family of Cornelius, that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins in his name. And while Peter was still speaking, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Wait a minute. This sounds like what Paul said in Romans 15. He gave me the priestly duty of sharing the gospels with Gentiles that they might become an offering acceptable to God. How do they become an offering acceptable to God? Oh, the Holy Spirit goes to work. And that was happening in the book of Acts as Peter shared with Cornelius. And then the next thing you know, all those believing in Cornelius' house, it says they were baptized. Here's the bottom line. Believer, if you want to enrich your worship life this new year, that's where the series is going. Don't just stop with the songs you sing on Sunday, but start by thinking, what can I give the God who has everything? Oh, wait. His word tells me I can offer my body as a living sacrifice, that I can offer my praise, aligning my attitude to my faith, that I can offer my good deeds, rolling my sleeves up and going to work in quality ways, and I can help others find and follow Jesus. I can help the Pacos in my life come home to their heavenly Father. And every one of these are acts of spiritual worship, offerings that we bring and then as we share the gift of salvation joy comes the joy of salvation restore the joy of my salvation believer if you're wanting to know how can god do that then join him in the joy of sharing salvation what is that well romans chapter 8 paul gives i'll just hit them real quick here but in romans chapter 8 when we share the gift of salvation here are the joys we're sharing the joy of god's pardon Forgiveness of sin, no condemnation in Christ. We're sharing the joy of God's peace. Verse uh, 6 says, the mind governed by spirit is life and peace. We're sharing the joy of God's presence wherever you go. Oh my goodness, verse 9, the spirit of God lives in you. We're sharing the joy of God's power. Verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Know anybody who could be benefited by that we're sharing the joy of God's purpose verse 28 in all things God works for the good of those called according to his purpose and all of these joys are because of our position in Christ our priestly position in Christ verse 1 says for those who are in Christ Jesus and so in Christ we find personal deliverance from sin, personal forgiveness from our, our mistakes and our misdeeds. We find the power to be able to break old habits that are destructive and to walk forward in a new way into a new future, new fullness, new fulfillment, and a new future that looks like this. Paul says our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. If you want a chapter to inspire you for the new year, Spend some time in Romans chapter 8 this week and see what happens. And one of the things he talks about in there is this amazing first fruits that we have to offer. That Christ as God's firstborn and us as adopted sons with the firstborn now are uh, being having our redemption fully realized as God's sons. Now, I know once again, that's verse 23. Those are a lot of theological concepts to try to lay hold of, but the meaning is incredible. What he's talking about is that from our position in Christ, as we share oneness with God's Son, 
He's in us, we're in Him, then every one of us are now treated by God as though we had the same status as a firstborn son. That's a big deal in Jewish culture. All the rights and privileges of a firstborn son because you are in Christ. So don't get gender snagged on the word son here. I believe it's theologically significant because in the culture, when the text was written, daughters didn't have those privileges. Paul was saying, hey, you know what? Doesn't matter male or female. If you are in Christ, you're going to be treated with the rights of a firstborn son. That's Romans chapter 8. And then celebrated as the first fruit of harvest. That's an offering of worship. So what a message of hope. Now, something I've learned about the giving of gifts, maybe you have too, is that the time and way that you give them matters, right? They don't just pop up in an informal, casual way. There, some gifts require a context and a special timing. And what I'm wondering is, do you think this might be a good time for some people in our lives to hear something like this kind of hope and this kind of promise from God. That this might be a good year. I mean, 2020, seriously, it's just been a year of disaster. 30 named storms. We tied the record for six hurricanes, leaving the Gulf and the East Coast of this nation with uh, very few untouched. 57,000 wildfires. I have family that live in California. 42,000 plumes of smoke, 1,500 degree heat, 143 mile per hour tornadoes, spoiling air quality, devastating wildlife, making California grapes taste like smoke. You can read all about that. Leaving 10.3 million acres burnt with the largest wildfire in the history of the state since they've been keeping records. According to the CDC, the pandemic has had infected by the end of December. 87.6 million people globally, 189 million deaths, 361,000 in the United States. All of that, okay, just listen to me for a second, all of that has been downloaded onto us and then add to that racial tension, social crisis, political upheaval, and economic turmoil and uncertainty. All I'm saying is we've been through a lot. Do you suppose anybody could use a word of hope? And who is it that God would choose to give it? Jesus said those that have already tasted it. People are hungry for hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ has it to give. And so he's still calling, God is still calling. Who will go? And whom shall I send? And Isaiah, when he first heard that, when he first had that sense, he was actually worshiped in, a, in the temple. And what he said was, well, here am I, send me. Get me out of the temple and out where the need is so that the hope can be shared and a harvest can be gathered. I will be a bridge to God in my troubled time, in my troubled world. This is his call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul said God made him a bridge to the Gentiles, that the harvest of his witness could be an offering of worship to God. Peter said that God called him to love people and share the love of Christ with people that are very different from him. These were Gentiles, uncircumcised pagans, but they were hungry for hope than seeking God. The Romans ruled by brute force. 
No, reason, no wonder he was trepidatious. No wonder he is fearful about it. But God sends the apostles and as many as will who are following Jesus out with him by the force of agape love. This is uh, the, not, not some warm, fuzzy feeling that you wait till you feel it before you make it real. This is the kind of strong love that conquers on a cross when things are really hard. And this is an act of worship that we can bring. The kind of love that dies for all so that all can live if they will. It's tender love, but it's tough love. Some of the toughest there is. You know, the toughest job I ever had was uh, harvesting hay, baling hay for my father-in-law. My wife grew up a, on a farm in mid-Missouri, and um, when I was a younger and uh, stronger man, <laughs> I said, oh, I'll help. Oh, my goodness. You know, you go out, uh, this, bale, I didn't cut the hay, I didn't bale the hay, but I heaved the hay. I gathered the hay and then helped load the flatbed truck. And what you do, they, they, these bales weigh about 50 pounds each, and you heave them from the field onto the flatbed. And then once they're on the flatbed, guess what you have to do then? Then you got to stack them like seven bales high and five across. And the longer you work, oh my goodness, the greater the challenge, the smaller your strength, and the darker the day the sun is setting. But when the harvest is ready, you got to do what it takes before the harvest is at risk. In God's harvest, Jesus said, the fields are white. we got to have more workers. People are ready. They're responding. But somehow, sometimes you've got to evaluate the timing and the placement of the gift so that they can respond. But nobody is to be excluded from the embrace of God's grace. And God wants those of us who know his love to grow and show his love to a world needing hope. Every Paco we help come home to the Father is a spirit offering of worship that we bring to God. But even then, it must be received, it must be accepted, and uh, not passively, it's got to be actively chosen. So I gotta ask you, what's God saying to you today? Is today your day of salvation? As you sense God's prompting, God's tugging, wherever you're joining us today, you sense God calling and you're looking for hope and you're hungry for something more and <laughs> like me, you're, you, you might have said, I can't do this on my own. Well, you don't have to do it. Jesus has done it, and he will meet you right where you are. You open your heart, you receive his forgiveness by faith, and then invite him to come alive in you. That's setting you apart as an offering to God. And then believer, can I ask you, where is God wanting you to be a bridge for him? Is it with a loved one, with a family member, with a friend, with a neighbor, with a business associate? For somebody, somewhere, who feels the weight of what we've been through, but is looking to see how do you stay present? How do you stay focused? And then the opportunity to share. Would you pray with me now? Holy Spirit, give us sensitivity to your leading in our lives. As you are speaking to us, would you turn the volume up, please, so that we won't miss your voice of opportunity. And could we even invite you, Lord, if that's you that I'm sensing, would you say it again? Would you make it clear?
Because if that's you, I don't want to miss you. I want to join you and invite you to have your way in me, to present my body to you that you might run with it and score with it in ways that would lead other people to know your love and your hope as well. We offer these words to you and this time of prayer as we make it in Jesus' name. Amen.